0: Well, today we're going to finish up the series on Ephesians. Believe it or not, we've been going for about nine weeks on the Ephesians study, Ephesians chapter 6. There's only six chapters in Ephesians. And today, um, what I want to encourage you is uh, we have somebody different going to finish up the message today. And the reason somebody different is doing it, number one, is the the person has a revelation as they've been sharing with me. There's a revelation they've been getting from the Lord on Ephesians chapter 6, and I really felt from the Lord that they were to share that revelation today. How many like that kind of stuff? Is that good? I'm not the only preacher around here. You guys realize that, right? And this is even part of the very DNA of who this church is. In Ephesians 4.11, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry, that we might be all mature and lacking nothing. How many want to be mature? And so today you're going to have an evangelist share a message today, all right? All right. An evangelist is going to share his take on Ephesians 6. And so I really want to encourage you to get your Bibles out, to get your notebooks out, and let's all welcome Alex Fulton to the floor. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And we're going to pray for him. Amen. Just extend your hand towards him. Father God, I just thank you for Alex, God, as you have brought him to New Covenant. And over the last year and a half, Father, you've been doing a work in his heart. And, Father, that work, there's a zeal, there's a passion inside of his heart. But, Father, more importantly, you're downloading a revelation of the beauty of Christ in him. And today, God, I thank you that that beauty comes from you. And, Father, that grace comes from you. And literally, as we sang that song today, God, you are our breath. In you, we live and move and have our being. And today, God, I just ask that you bless Alex. God, just give him such a peace and just a a reservoir. Just let him share out of the reservoir of revelation that you've been doing in his heart concerning Ephesians chapter 6. It's beautiful, God. And I thank you for that gift that you've given this body in Alex, Father. And we just bless him today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said Amen. 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 Enjoy. Thank you. Enjoy.
1: Okay, when I started to study and try to put this message together, um, it was kind of a joke. Uh, I, I come to Eric and I said, "Hey, here, here's my outline. It's uh, ten pages long." And uh, he says, "Well, I usually do about three pages." And so, uh, and then Mike had the uh, the gall to tell me, "Well, hey, it's okay if you have ten pages if you're Lynn Furrow." So. <laughs> I will try my best to uh, not stretch us beyond the holy hour, and with the grace of God, we'll still beat the Baptist to the buffet. So, but uh, we've gone through Ephesians, and uh, if you're here today and you've never read Ephesians, and this is the first time you've ever been here, Ephesians, like Eric said, is six chapters long. The first three are. The posture is sit, walk, and stand. And at the beginning of Ephesians, we're sitting at the right hand of God and receiving revelation, identity of who we really are. And then in all through 4, 5, and 6, because we've received the riches of Christ and the inheritance of the saints, and that's us, and the very fabric and DNA of who we are, then the last three chapters are how do we walk this out. And so in chapter 4, we learned as the body of Christ... Jew and Gentile, which before was unheard of. But Paul received that revelation. And it was anathema to think that these two would worship together. And he said, no, we are one body. One body. So in four, we learn to walk in unity. And five, I love this one, we walk in love. Then nothing can separate us. So we come to six. And had we not gone through those earlier parts, we wouldn't be ready to fight. So today I call it a call to arms. God's people go forth to battle, warring together, strong in the power of his might, putting on the full armor of God. So today we're going to cover spiritual warfare as we're all starting a trial. In the middle of one, finishing one up, and probably another one is on the way. I've got issues going on. We've all got issues going on. But we have to be ready to do battle well-versed in the preparation of warfare before putting on the full armor of God. Because who we're facing, he has a lot of schemes, and he's tricky. So I want to see the body of Christ waging warfare warfare united, loving each other, unconditionally, even in our trials. And so those are some of the things that we're going to cover today. All right, Ephesians six ten through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, Against spiritual hosts and wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. There was a day in our society when the population in general had a greater sense of good versus evil in the world. Two world wars provided opportunity to reflect soberly on the reality of conflict. The population at large believed God and heaven were good and Satan and hell were bad, and that the most conflicts could be traced back to that larger division. Today, things are different. Many professing Christians have little sense of conflict in their life, or so they think. Or so they think. They go through their day-to-day activities, attend church on Sunday, and live quiet, orderly lives as good citizens. They live without any awareness of the great spiritual conflict taking place all around them and how it might be impacting their personal life. But in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, Paul issues a call to battle. Be strong. Put on the whole armor of God. Every Christian is called to be aware and to participate in spiritual warfare that surrounds us. But the call to battle is not just in Ephesians 6. It's all throughout the New Testament. Christianity is nothing if it is not a fight, a battle, a war. Why else would Paul's opening words on this subject say, be strong? So we're going to dial down a little more detail on this. Before you go to war and fight, before the armor is even put on, it's stated that we have to be strong in the power of his might. And I had a little counseling before this. And uh, he said that the key to battle is where are you taking your stand? Are you taking it in the power of his might or in your own? Everything depends on that. If you're not strong, the Lord, the very armor that you will wear will be a burden to you. And you won't be spiritually strong enough to support it. It takes some serious spiritual muscle to support the weight of the armor God has given us by his grace, as we have to die to ourselves and surrender everything unto Christ, for the battle belongs to the Lord, not you. You know how strong Paul himself was. He was a veritable giant for Christ. And here he calls upon his brethren to be as he was. He did not want to be a brother to dwarfs. So he appealed to his brethren to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And this is why a lot of people fail at spiritual warfare. They're simply not strong in the Lord and the power of his might, and they fight the battles before they're ready to be fighting them in their own might instead of the power of God's might. And we lose every time when that happens, because with God we're nothing. I learned a uh, valuable lesson in that I was taught uh, probably about 18 months ago, uh, through my mentor's experiences and then my own too, a lot of times dealing with my wife. That's, that's spiritual warfare, isn't it? All you guys that are married and ladies that are married, it is. Because I got to want my way. But I learned that, that God would never work through my pride or my anger, but he would always work through my humility and sometimes even work miracles through my humility My own mother-in-law sat right there that I didn't get along with for over 14 years. And during worship, I leaned over and told her, I'm sorry that I have not given you the love, dignity, and respect that you should have been getting as, as my wife's mother and as who God created you to be. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I'll love you like my own mom till the day I die. I almost had to catch her. She was crying so hard. So it's in the power of his might and not our own. We, got to, we have to think about also who we're taking on. What are the wiles of the devil? Satan uses many tactics in his attempt to defeat us. These tactics are evidenced by some of the descriptions of Satan in Scripture, and they are described as the following. He is a deceiver, Revelation twelve nine. From Genesis 3, 4 through 5, where Satan deceives Eve until the present day of today, Satan has been a master manipulator of, of people. Look at our society today and the level of sin that is tolerated without any bit of contesting, mainly from the body of Christ either. And we need to confront that in love. But you can easily see that deception has America in a deadly headlock. Number two, Satan is a murderer. I mean a murderer. How many of us know people, very close to us even, who are deceived by Satan, believe the lies, and wound up dead by drugs or alcohol? My brother's wife died in November, and she was 42. And I still picture her at 19, vibrant and alive, with the whole world in front of her. And God had blessed her even with two great kids, two twin boys. But she believed a lie about her identity and that she wasn't precious and that God didn't care about her, that nobody cared about her. And there was a bit of a family curse on that. And I remember my mom calling me and saying, you better get to the hospital. What's going on? Sonia's back in the hospital, and she's not going to make it out this time. And and to go and talk to her, and, and it was good that we were able to lead her to the Lord. But all of us know people that literally Satan, once he got in his grip, almost like some kind of a constricting snake, like a boa constrictor. He constricted the life right out of her. But glory to God, we know where she's at now. Amen. He's a tempter. Matthew 4.3, we're all tempted by any host of things, sexual sin, drugs, food, I'm fessing up, I'm being vulnerable, Dairy Queen, <laughs> malice, anger, pride, that's another one of mine, and the list goes on and on. All of us, of some device of Satan, we're all tempted. And Satan, lastly, we've said it again, he's a liar, John 8.44. All of us have believed lies about ourselves and our identity falsely given by Satan himself. Where do you think depression comes from? Darkness. Darkness. And we start to believe a lie, and then it gets us once again like a boa constrictor, and it can go pretty low. I've been there. Right, before, right after I got married, I, I was so depressed. I actually, the doctor actually had to put me, out, me on Xanax, and people go, no, you're, you're very up. No, I was on Xanax until I got a new revelation from the King of Kings. He's also the accuser of the brethren, big time. Revelation 12.10, and of the wicked one, John 5.19. William Gurnell said this in the book, The Christian in Complete Armor, in 1655. It's a long time ago, but this guy had a lot of revelation about accusation from Satan. Thou mayest, poor soul, when accused by Satan... Molested by his terrors. We should say it is God that justifies. I have his hand to it. That I should have my life given to me as soon as I laid down my arms and submitted to him. Which I desire to do. Behold, the gates of my heart are open to let the prince of peace in. And is not the almighty able to perform his promise? I commit myself to him as unto a faithful creator. Amen. In spiritual warfare, we've already been talking about the devil. But a lot of times we look at the wrong entity of who we're actually fighting. But we're fighting principalities and powers. That refers to the demonic. I'm not trying to give me by a picture of some horror movie here today, but we really do. It is a spiritual war. Even Satan's head's officers, Wiles re- refer to his clever plans. Crafty deceptions and cunning methods, they're always playing on our weak points. Like a military general, Satan plans his attacks and directs his demonic forces. But we've got to get it right that we're warring against Satan and his demonic horde. Flesh and blood can persecute, betray, or hurt us, but we must never forget that the real battle is against Satan. He is the one who brings evil into their lives and tempts them to sin, to where they become his puppets to carry out his will of trying to trip up God's people and make us miserable and discredit God and ourselves. There was a a story that really moved me. I was sitting one day at at lunch with with Lynn Furrow, and uh, he asked me, he said, we were talking about ISIS and and all this stuff going on in Syria, and, uh, you know, we both had the the attitude, man, if somebody like Reagan was in office, ISIS would be was, was. But uh, we were talking, you know, and it's like we wanted to war ourselves and go over there and take these guys on. And he asked me a really interesting question. He said... um, Alex, you know, the Roman Empire was pretty barbaric too. He goes, they would pull out believers' children and murder them in front of them just to be mean. And these, these guys were evil. He said, what do you think really brought down the Roman Empire? I said, well, and I gave him the textbook answer. Oh, corruption from within, uh, the Ottomans and all these other advancing armies. And, th-, and he goes, yes, all that is truth that did help. But he said, what really brought down the Roman Empire? I said, "Uh, what is that? He said, the love of God. I said, what do you mean? He said, Alex, you have no idea how many times that they would pull a whole family out, families and families, and line them up, and the centurion would walk up with his sword, getting ready to just lop their heads off. And he said, the Christians, (laughs) we need to be like this but we're not persecuted today like they were. And we don't have that ferocity inside of us. They would look up at the centurion and say, we know what you're going to do. And we forgive you in advance. And we still love you. And the centurion would start to shake and his hand would shake and he'd cry. And he'd drop the sword and he'd get down on his hands and knees and put his hands behind his back and say, you're going to have to kill me too. I want to go be with part of this family. I'll go to heaven with them today. And the love of God brought down the Roman Empire. And the love of God can bring down ISIS or anything else that we, that we face today. There was a whole legion of men, I think it was 6,500 men in the Roman Empire that their royal general had had a revelation of God probably through one of the apostles. And he radically transformed his life and he stood before all 6,500 of his men and said, we're doing wrong. The next day, all 6,500 of them were beheaded and they all went together as a family. It's the love of God. As we go forth to battle, now that we are strong in the Lord and know who we are fighting, we need to put on the full armor of God. All of these weapons provided by God are interconnected, and you can't have one without the other. You can't have God's word without truth or righteousness. And we have to equip ourselves with all of God's armor, not one piece missing. We cannot give Satan one inch or he will figuratively take an entire country like he's done a pretty good job of here in America. Our citizens have slid morally by a slight compromises and evil until look where we are today. In verses 14 through 18, it's okay, I'll read it. In verses 14 through 18, Paul lists seven pieces of equipment every Christian should wear to win our spiritual battles. Stand He says, stand again. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That's us. I think it says 14 times in chapter 1, saints. I think he's trying to tell us something. When someone says, you're no saint, you need to say, oh, yes, I am. Read Ephesians 1. I've adjusted the armor of a Roman centurion to the armor of a tactical police officer today so that we get a better picture of it. Because the last time I turned on Fox News or any other news channel, I didn't see Roman centurions running to break up riots and and waging warfare. Although in Ephesus, because it was a city of war, they were all too familiar with Roman centurions and the armor that they wore. They saw it in action every day. Uh, So I've adjusted it to a riot police officer. And so here's what we're going to go through. The The combat harness is our belt of truth. The Christian's combat harness is truth. Paul said, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Jesus said, I am the truth in John fourteen six, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy. He's a liar, deceiver, serpent, and the accuser of the brethren. Whatever he says to us is distortion. Truth is the basis of everything. We are as sons and daughters of the king, and victory in spiritual warfare always starts with the truth. It's been said that truth is the master ingredient in the recipe of successful spiritual warfare. I I know uh, when I do argue with my wife and she says, uh, have you been to Dairy Queen and I happen to tell a half-truth, that battle's over right there because I'm lying. And And she can look at me and know it right then. Our shield of righteousness is the Christian's bulletproof vest. Be honest, upright, authentic, and full of integrity. The little sins we tolerate represent dangerous holes in our bulletproof vest. You can be sure that sooner or later Satan will aim right at that spot, and then we become a casualty of warfare. Our righteousness comes not from ourselves but from Christ, Philippians 3.9. If we don't have righteousness in our hearts, the spiritual battle's lost, for we are to be the righteousness of God himself. The tactical duty boots wear the shoes of the gospel of peace. Peace in your own heart. Peace with God. Peace with man. Peacefulness and peace. A man that has a merry heart makes many a mile fly beneath him. But a heavy heart is a slow traveler. As the right boots protect the soles of our feet, the peace of gospel protects our eternal souls. Back in 2009, uh, I had worked at Nautilus a total recently of about 11 years. In the first roughly six and a half, seven years, was the first regime and ownership of that company. And in 2009, we all lost our jobs, all of us. Uh, They were in transition of being bought and sold, and so I had some downtime, and it was good that I did because during that time, my dad um, was over in in the hospital, and he had had colon cancer. And uh, they reconnected his colon, and then it came apart. And so all the contents of his food went spilling into his bloodstream, caused a blood infection. He fell into a coma for at least nine days. And uh, I can tell you the gospel of peace was a lifesaver to my mom and I. I remember walking in and seeing my dad. His hands were swelled up the size of cigars. His tongue was hanging out of his mouth. And I wanted to just break down and cry. I mean, this is my dad who used to have nine-inch wrists and weigh 300 pounds. He was a mighty man. Be been reduced to this pathetic thing that I saw right here. And they even told us when we first got there, prepare yourselves. This man is not going to make it through the night. We, we had, wow, Dad, it, it, I didn't have any time to prepare for this. But somehow, because of the gospel of peace, we didn't fall apart. And we came back day after day. I remember walking in, and I'd always tell my mom I had to go to the bathroom, and I'd walk in there. And I'd bite my lip and have to wipe my my tears away with the door shut because I couldn't fall apart in front of my mom. And my lip would bleed. I'd bite so hard on it. It was so tough to see my dad like that. And I'd come out and get it together, and we were okay. But later on, we found out the people in the surrounding rooms came to us and said, you know what? Your dad is much worse off than, than we are, but you know what? We've noticed how you don't seem really worked up about all this. And it was a testament to them. We were able to evangelize these people and tell them about the gospel of peace. I remember going to a meeting at church, and I was weeping tears of joy, and I was able to say the craziest thing in the world, unemployed. And my dad at death's door, day by day, we didn't know what was going to happen to him. I'm having the, I literally was having one of the best days of my life. And that's impossible without the gospel of peace. And thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that your peace supersedes all human understanding, even if you're unemployed and your hero is at his death's door. The riot shield is our shield of faith. Trust God and keep going even when everything falls apart. Above all, taking the shield of faith for which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Fiery darts come from Satan and they come from people too. Insults, accusations, falsehoods. Here's one you see on Facebook a lot, character assassinations. <laughs> My wife, I was so proud of her this last summer. Um, the second Nautilus got bought out, and, and they brought me over and uh, to the new Nautilus again, which was part of Stairmaster Schwinn, and we were all doing the the happy dance and the Macarena if you remember what that is and all that stuff at my household I thought hey wow Kate's finally going to get to come home she's not going to have to work anymore and walk in her identity well before you know it they just go and cannibalize the whole dealer channel I lose my job again and unlike the last time that this happened you know Kate kind of had this attitude back then of you know why has this happened to us or why do I always have to be the one that's, that's working if you get these breaks and all this she had a poor attitude about this but I'm not here to because she's not here to defend herself. Don't tell her I said this. But, uh, you know, the second time around, man, she quenched those fiery darts. She took one look at me, and thanks, thanks to being here, she's grown. And the revelation that she's received and the support that she's got from all of you that we never had before, she looks at me and says, It's okay. God's in all of this. And you know what, we're going to come out better off than what we were. And they can do what they want, but you know what, they're losing a great man. It's their fault, but it's going to be our gain in the end. God loves us and cares for us. He is Abba Father. Number five is the helmet. Wear the helmet of salvation. Possess the mind of Christ. Think as Jesus thinks. Equipping yourself with the wisdom of God. Our battle will be won or lost in the realm of ideas. As the great teacher and writer Oswald Chambers wrote, your mind is the greatest gift God has given you, and it ought to be devoted entirely to him. Amen. You should seek to be bringing every thought into captivity and obedience to Christ, Second Corinthians 10-5. through This will be one of the greatest assets to your faith when a time of trial comes, because then your faith and the Spirit of God will work together as one. When the mind is the greatest gift of God or not, God's greatest gift doesn't matter. Chambers' point is well made. I I like this part. Whatever is greatly valued by God is going to be greatly contested by Satan. That's key. We can go as far as to say that the human mind is the ultimate battlefield for spiritual warfare. I like this point too. Satan is more concerned about what we think and believe than about anything else. I'm going to say that again. Satan is more concerned about what we think and believe than about anything else. If I was sitting right there, that'd be going on my iPhone. The sword of the spirit, we're going to call it our assault rifle. Until now, all the armor has been defensive. Now we come to our offensive weapon of the word of God. In Matthew 4, Jesus confronted Satan with three simple words. It is written. And he quoted passages from Deuteronomy to defeat Satan. Think of areas in which you know Satan will tempt you. Find some Bible verses relating to those areas. Write them out on cards. Pin them up. Memorize them. Learn them by heart. What do we say around here? Repetition brings what? Revelation. Revelation. William Garnell said this about God's word. A pilot without his chart... A scholar without his book and a soldier without his sword are alike ridiculous. But above all these, it is absurd for one to think of being a Christian without knowledge of the Word of God and some skill to use as a weapon. The last one, a lot of people sometimes leave this out. They'll say there's six pieces of armor, there's actually seven. It's prayer. Prayer. We call that our radio. So as a tactical officer, so to speak, in spiritual warfare, when there's trouble ahead, we radio into Jesus our concerns. Paul says, Praying with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Praying always all prayer, all perseverance for all the saints. Our prayer life should be strong, consistent, and sincere. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. James 5.16 Charles Spurgeon said something this is really cool he said I would rather teach one young man how to pray than ten young men how to preach one one of our uh, heroes around here has a funny saying it's almost like Dirty Harry he doesn't say go ahead and make my day he says go ahead make me pray (laughs) (laughs) lastly sometimes one of the bigger ignored aspects of sermons that I've heard on spiritual warfare. It's a byproduct of the body of Christ, walking in confident identity, identity, unified and loving each other in our trials and warfare and not just thinking of ourselves, but preferring each other before ourselves in warfare. The secular world thinks that the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. And when we use a lot of terms, we give half hugs, we call each other brother or sister, But a lot of times, we're so concerned about our own troubles, we don't think of anybody else. And the world looks over and says, there's nothing authentic about them. You know, Shelley's testimony last week spoke volumes to me. My wife sat there. We had a death grip on our seat. We were about to crush our seats. That was powerful. Thank you. Thank you again for caring enough about the body of Christ to come up here and bare your soul about spiritual warfare. It really affected us. But like you said... You had this one stronghold. And, I, I, you know, the world wants to be loved too. And there's a reason why they're taking drugs and alcohol or not showing up or, or having all these idols. They're not seeking the superior provision of God. It's the inferior pleasures of this world. But if they could see us as supposed to be in Ephesians when we track back before, unified, in love, walking together, they want to be like us. Then they come in here. And they start to feel the love of God and realize that there is some authenticity to the witness that we have, that even the endorsement of heaven is upon the authenticity of our witness. I have a short video clip here.
0: What made you decide to join the paratroopers? I wanted to fight with the best, sir. This is easy company. The finest company in this regiment.
1: found in one another a bond among brothers it's inspiring always to see how these soldiers bonded together unselfishly and Donnie Wahlberg said in that trailer why did you want to fight with the paratroopers and he said I wanted to fight with the best well I want to wage spiritual warfare with the best too that's all of you I'm going to get a little personal here Kate and I never had a body of Christ like this until we came here. And, and we really expense, we experienced what the unity of the community, the unity of a new humanity, what a God kind of love, a Zoe, a God kind of life was. And I can honestly say today, if today was my last day here, I would walk into the gates of heaven and say about every single one of you, It was a pleasure and an honor to fight alongside of you. But I I want the body of Christ to get this. What really is going to appeal to a lost world is this kind of brotherhood in the body of Christ, even when we're going through difficulty. The fact that Mike Brown was in the hospital, I could not go see you. If you were on the battlefield and it cost me my own life, I would go and get you and be glad to die with you. We've got to get that as the body of Christ is that there's a world out there that's dying, literally dying because of the wiles of the devil, and he's crafty, and we have to be able to get this tactical warfare down within us. None of it's possible, though, without love. We've got to be a loving body of Christ, willing to war and die together and lay down our lives for each other. I'll end with this. It's said in Napoleon Bonaparte, that as he attempted to conquer all the kingdoms of the known world, he spread out a map on a table and pointed to a specific place and said to his lieutenants, Sirs, if it were not for that red spot, I could conquer the whole entire world. The spot to which he pointed was the British Isles, the very nation that met the Napoleon at Waterloo in Belgium, and defeated him in the League of Group of Nations. There's no doubt that when Satan talks to his minions about conquering the world, he says the same thing about the red hilltop, On the Calvary, where Christ's blood was spilled. If it were not for that red spot, I could rule the world. That red spot is what makes all the difference in our spiritual battles. We all face together as the body of Christ. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Who wants to go and fight with me today? Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we're moved that in this beautiful book that you gave us a self-defense course, How to Defeat Satan, like a caring parent that doesn't put his kid on the athletic field without him making sure that the child is properly, properly prepared. Lord, we thank you. We do not deserve what we have. Lord, help us to get it in the very fabric of our souls that we have to prefer each other over ourselves, even in warfare. Lord, we thank you. We give you glory and honor because only you are worthy of praise. In your holy name we pray, amen and amen.
0: We could have the worship team come up. We're going to do a song. And uh, none of us do spiritual warfare by ourselves. Well, we can do spiritual warfare by ourselves, but it sure helps when we have others fighting with us. Can I have any men on that? When Shelly shared her testimony even last week, what did you notice who who there was somebody with her helping her who, who was helping Shelly in that battle? Shelly, who was helping you? Kate. Kate. And Kate had a word from the Lord and she came alongside of her. She took her out here in the foyer, and there was deliverance that came. And uh, we need to become a band of brothers where we help each other. And if you win, I win. That's right. If you lose, I lose. The world's watching. And so we want to, that passage in Ephesians, we really do war against spiritual forces. And the battle is not you. If I'm angry at you, the battle is really not you. The battle is the enemy that is... Convincing you to be offended or whatever the issue may be And god wants to come and he wants to bring Spiritual victories and every one of us are either in a battle right now We're in a battle with my father-in-law, but you know what he is in a hospital, but he's not fighting by himself I was there friday night spent the night was with him all day And what was I doing? I was doing spiritual warfare for my father-in-law because he's not strong enough to do it on his own My wife's there today. Why because we're doing battle We're praying, we're interceding, and we're fighting the good fight of faith. Amen? And so, guys, I tell you, this thing of the battle and putting on your armament, put on the full armor. I encourage you this week to read Ephesians 6 and say, God, get this in my heart. Amen? Let's stand up. We're going to sing a song. And just allow the Lord to uh, minister to you through this song. In Jesus' name.